Uh, this past week, I saw a Jewish movie. And I think it's important to make a distinction between movies that are made by Jews and Jewish movies. Movies that are made by Jews are legend. In fact, you're probably like me. There's an expression, a term that's actually used to describe the habit that Jews have for waiting at the end of the movie titles to see all the Jews that were involved in the writing and production of the movies. It's called bageling things out. So you sit there and you look and you say, well, that's definitely a Jewish name. And you look at another name, eh, it's probably a Jewish name. You know, you do that kind of internal calculation. But the difference between a Jewish movie and a movie made by Jews is significant. Most of the movies that are made by Jews in the North American movie market, they don't deal with Jewish matters. And if they do, they never actually deal with Judaism. It's always the story of someone who may be a Jew, but is probably a stereotypical image of one. Think of Woody Allen movies. He never comes straight out and says he's Jewish, but the fact of the matter is you can't come to any other conclusion. <laughs> and that he kind of works out his own personal issues through this collective kind of anxiety that he sees through the Jewish people. There are very few movies actually made by Jews about Judaism in North America. Now, I'm going to stop there for a moment, and I'm going to make a total left turn, and I think you're going to see where it's going to come to at the end. If I'm mistaken, you'll let me know. About 150 years ago, there lived uh, the, who's called the father of modern linguistics. His name was Ferdinand de Saussure. De Saussure was responsible for all the concepts we have about language. He created what he calls the larynx theory. He did exceptional work with Indo-Pacific languages. Most of the ideas we have about linguistics and language and the theory of languages and by extension, how we communicate, understand, how we relate to one another, is all by extension and developed from his theories. One of the set of theories that de Saussure developed, I think this was in 1857, was what he called syncretic and diachronic behaviors. From a linguistics perspective, syncretic and diachronic behaviors are like this. You take a word that is used in one way. So for example, the word um, for debt in Old English means something very different in some ways from what it means in modern English. And the tracing of what words meant and now what they mean is a huge spread. In other words, what the word meant for that generation in that moment, and then subsequently over the period of time as things evolve, what it means for subsequent generations is considered diachronic. So you have synchronic and diachronic. The truth of the matter is now, it's also very important to note that the same is true for almost every language. Hebrew is unquestionably to be tied to that analysis as well. The famous expression by, or the saying by Shimon Perez, he was taking a group of VIPs through Hechal Sefer, the shrine of the book in the Israel Museum where the Dead Sea Scrolls are kept. You've all been there? If you haven't, please, I'll take you. <laughs> Just let me know. Um, Shimon Perez was walking around with some of VIPs and they, he saw that there was a grandfather and a granddaughter standing in front of one of the parchments. 
and they were reading it together. And Shimon Perez turns to the VIPs and says, this is the miracle of the Jewish people. You can have a language that is thousands of years old being read now in modern times by a grandfather and a granddaughter. And then he whispered to the Israeli who was standing next to him, he said, the only problem is the, the grandfather and the granddaughter are speaking two different languages, which is true in English too, by the way. But it has kind of a theological, historical impact for Jews. The idea that some things happen in one generation and they mean something for one generation and then subsequent generations taken and it means something different for them is also a powerful Jewish idea. It's a powerful Jewish idea in the sense that all of us consider ourselves and it's an echo in the Torah portion as well because Moses is in the final moments of his life and he is, as a result, he is winding down his mission of leading the Jewish people. He, as we know, will not be taking the people into the promised land. He is commanded at the end of the Torah portion to go up to Harab Eberim, to the top of one of the mountains on the Transjordan side, and to cast his eyes over the land that he will not go into. And so what he has to say, really, for the entirety of the book of Sefer Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy, is this long farewell soliloquy that Moses is offering to the people, filled with exhortations and warnings and praise and inspiration. At the end of his life, this man who started off as declaring to God that he was not a man of words, lo ish dvarim anuchi, Moses says, I am not a man of speech. What's the final book of the Torah called? Devarim, words. Moses becomes a man of words. And the entire book is filled with Moses offering words to a people and speaking to them. The standing at Mount Sinai, the ceremonies before they enter into the land, these were all meant to communicate to that generation of the obligations they have for God. At the same time in Jewish tradition, not only do we believe that the people who stood at Mount Sinai were bounded by the covenant with God, but Moses also repeats this morning in the Torah portion that even those who were not there, so much so that the ancient rabbis created a midrash that said all of the Jewish souls who would ever live, those who were alive at the time and all those who would be born in the future, the Jews who would be born of Jewish mothers and those Jews who would choose to become Jewish by choice. Every Jew in the story of the Jewish people, both present and future, were all at Mount Sinai. Interestingly to note, there is, um, there's an orthodox dating site called Saw You at Sinai. <laughs> and I'm not referring to Temple Sinai in Wilson, by the way. But the idea as to why they call it that is because of this rabbinic midrash, this rabbinic teaching that every Jewish soul that ever lived and would live was present at Sinai. And why would they say that? Because of the idea of dissociate, that it was both syncretic and diachronic, that not only the people who stood there at that moment were obligated to the covenant with God, but that Jewish tradition also saw 
every subsequent generation thereafter would be bound by the covenant to God and the Jewish people. That the Torah was obligatory, not just on those who stood by Sinai to hear it being declared, but every Jew was deemed to be and considered to be obligated to it as well. The movie that I saw, it's funny, when I thought about it, actually, because there were so few movies, North American movies, actually made about Judaism, two immediately came to my mind. The movie that I saw was Adam Sandler's movie, You Are So Not Invited to My Bat Mitzvah. Everyone's laughing. Uh, Famously, it was filmed in Toronto. You can see images of Betzedek in the hallways and everything. And it's the story of a girl who's about to have her bat mitzvah and all the angst and anxiety of growing up and the bat mitzvah party and the shul and the learning and and all those other things, of being there. What's interesting when you watch the movie is that there is no mention of Judaism. There's no mention of mitzvot. There's not one mention of Israel. It is a story purported to be about Judaism with nothing Jewish about it. The other movie that came to my mind was The Jazz Singer. First, of course, famously casted by Al Jolson, the son of a cantor. Later on, recreated in the 70s by Neil Diamond. The story of the jazz singer is a story of a Jew who is running away from Judaism. And the end of the movie, both his father and the jazz singer find some place in the middle to run back to. Adam Sandler's movie is about a young Jewish girl who's running away from nothing and running to nothing. The story, the long story of the Jewish people of having a covenant that is both synchronic and diachronic both one that is spoken to a generation and for every generation thereafter, is utterly absent from the entire movie. There is no wrestling or identity to be found with anything that has come before and nothing to think about what is coming after. I I often think that in that movie, the very suggestion that a bat mitzvah alone, standing up there, would be the totality and the fulsomeness of a Jewish identity is gravely mistaken because the bar of bat mitzvah moment is just a portal and you have to step through it. Standing at Sinai, we are told this morning, both in the Haftorah that Jerry beautifully read and in the Torah reading, was not in and of itself sufficient. The fulfilling of Sinai the struggling of every generation to understand what it means to be Jewish. And it doesn't mean it has to be exactly like what came before because the story of Judaism is always a story of invention and reinvention, of interpretation and then reinterpretation, of Judaisms in the space of what Judaism is. We understand that. But you must struggle with the questions. And if you don't struggle with the questions, then you're not identifying yourself with the story in and of itself. 
on Shabbat Shuvah, this Shabbat, which precedes always Yom Kippur, we remind ourselves that over the course of the year, we have run away from something. But on this Shabbat and on Yom Kippur, we inspire ourselves to run back to something. Shabbat Shalom.